Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Like I said, we'll be in uh, 1 Kings chapter 15 uh, as we continue to start uh, looking uh, through Kings and some of these uh, move at a rapid pace as as in the book of Judges, you focus, there's cycles of Judges, and some Judges get a, a verse or two to speak about their, uh, what they do. Others get uh, chapters devoted to them and, and how they judged Israel during those times. And so too with the kings, we go through this uh, period of time where we spend a lot of time on someone like Jeroboam uh, in the northern kingdom, and not necessarily Rehoboam in the southern kingdom, but then other kings uh, pass by quickly. And so we've got to constantly be reminded where we are about uh, history and, and the historical facts and, and the other kingdoms during the periods of time, the, the, the uh, prophets during that era and that uh, period. Uh, so this is the whole overview of where we're going and where we are. And then uh, come to the first kind of portion of this uh, kingdoms and these uh, kings. And so looked at uh, Jeroboam on the uh, northern kingdom in Israel. Uh, looked at uh, Rehoboam, uh, so Jeroboam on the northern kingdom, and, and looked at his reign. And then we jumped over to uh, Rehoboam uh, to be able to see what he uh, did as we looked at last time. And now we move down to uh, Abijah, or uh, different uh, translations, Abijam, um, depending on where you're uh, how it, it, it works out, how your translation has uh, moved this. So this is roughly around 913 uh, to about 910, 911. Again, these dates are hard to be able to calculate. We use a, a you know January, December uh, uh, method of calculation. Uh, that's not how uh, they did uh, dating back there. So it's hard for us to be able to pinpoint, is it 1911, uh, 1910, uh, uh, 910 or 9-11? Uh, BC. So we're in the southern kingdom in Israel's reign. Uh, Rehoboam has passed away. Now uh, we come to Abijam uh, here. Uh, so let's look at the first three verses in chapter 15 here. And uh, it begins this way. Now in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Abijam, uh, uh, Abijam, uh, began to reign over Judah. He reigned for three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Makkah, the daughter of Abishalom, and he walked in all the sins that his father did before him. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father. So we'll get pretty used to this refrain as we go through this uh, this repetitive nature of, of how we read through Kings, this introductory statement uh, with a conclusion at the end, uh, as we see in verse 8. Uh, here in this time, we find out uh, the period of where he begins to reign. Again, this is helpful when we start to be able to compare kingdoms. As we go through First Kings, it's not chronological. Um, it moves in a chronological direction, but as we see, uh, Jeroboam's died in, in the portion that we've dealt with and looked at, uh, but we haven't here he's reigning again, uh, the 18th year. So we need to. It helps us to be able to put in uh, a relationship between these two kingdoms, the period of time, 
to be able to help see understand this. Now we're given here the mother's name, Makah, uh, daughter of uh, Abishalom. Uh, helpful when we see uh, where these kings have come from, uh, not only merely their parental side, uh, but also their maternal side, as we see a distinction uh, throughout Scripture that sometimes the distinction is made between uh, Rachel, Rachel and Leah, uh, with the Jacob and his children. Statistically, it's somewhat unhelpful. There's no correlation that we can then deduce from some form of principle why we're given the maternal side on some things. Uh, good kings come and bad kings are referenced. And uh, here, uh, Abijam uh, is a bad king, but Asa, who we'll look at next time, is a good king. But they come from the same mother. So Asa actually takes action against his mother, whereas Abijam does not. So what did uh, uh, Abijam do? You see this in verse 3, that he walked in all the sins that his father did before him, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, at the heart of David his father. So here we see, uh, even in this sentence, we see an important principle that's helpful for us to be able to understand when we think about uh, reading through Scripture. Uh, when we come to passages, uh, people question in, in, in the Gospel accounts of uh, how did uh, we get 14 generations from Abraham to David, and, and how do we calculate uh, all the, the family trees and, and compare them to one another. Uh, there's extra names in the New Testament that were not given in the Old Testament. Um, so are therefore they're historically inaccurate. But here we see the, the principle is that uh, Abijam has two fathers, Rehoboam, but also David. They're mentioned both as his father. And so when we speak of father, we're not merely just talking about the uh, family tree, the branch that's next above it, the closest branch. We're also talking about those that are before it as well. And so we see that connection here in this, that here uh, Abijam is just like the other nations. He follows Rehoboam, and he does not follow David, who is also his father. So we see uh, Judah is continuing down the track of Rehoboam, as we saw last week, as, as the Lord was jealous for his, um, or last time when the Lord was jealous for his people, as they made idols and asterim and worshipped and putting cult prostitutes in their, in their worship and had high places on, on every hill, under every tree. And so Judah now is starting to look like every other nation. Now we're, there's Israel will begin to look like every other nation, but we see the problem also in the southern kingdom as well. Now, what we have helpful here in this account is we're not just merely given the account found in 1 Kings. We're also given a second account in 2 Chronicles. And I think this is helpful to be able to compare these both, uh, both of these stories side by side that help us to be able to understand what's actually happening during the time of Abijam and uh, Abijah or Abijam. So we're given this account here. Uh, he's during the time of Jeroboam, but in 2 Chronicles chapter 13, verses 3 and 5, we're told that Abijah went out to battle. And having an army of valiant men of war, 400,000 chosen men, and Jeroboam drew up 
his line of battle against him with 800,000 chosen mighty warriors. Then Abijah stood at the Mount Zerophim, uh, that is in the hill country of Ephraim, and said, Hear me, O Jeroboam and all Israel. Ought you not to know that the Lord God of Israel has gave the kingship over Israel forever to David and his sons by a covenant of salt? So here, that uh, what we're speaking of is these two houses together. We see this uh, later in this passage that in verse 6 in, in chapter 15 of First Kings, there was a war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of his life. So uh, the whole time that uh, Abijah, Abijah, um, Abijah was alive, we see that they're at war with Jeroboam, these two nations fighting with one another. And so he, uh, God promises that he has now, and, and Abijah, or Abijah, uh, has quotes and this, this meaning that here God has made a covenant with David and his house, and he refers to this as a covenant of salt. And what this means is that God had promised that he would give to the people of God um, priests for them to be able to make sacrifices on behalf of the people. And this is the promise and provision which is found in uh, the Mosaic law called the covenant of salt. This promise of this provision that God would always provide for them priests, and that's found in Numbers chapter 18, where he says, All the contributions that the people of, of Israel present to the Lord I give to you, and to your sons and daughters with you, as a perpetual due. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord, for you and for your offspring with you. So here Abijah goes and confronts um, Jeroboam, the king in the northern kingdom, and he points out that here um, Jeroboam is the one who made golden calves, and he also appointed his own priests. So in again, Second Chronicles chapter thirteen, as he's speaking of this um, covenant of salt that God has spoken and given the kingship to David forever, he says in Second Chronicles chapter thirteen verse ten. But as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken Him. We have priests ministering in the Lord who are sons of Aaron and the Levites for the service. They offer to the Lord every morning and every evening burnt offerings and incense of sweet spices set out and showbread on the table of pure gold and care for the golden lampstand that its lamps may burn every evening. For we keep the change charge of the Lord our God, but you have forsaken him. Behold, God is with us at our head and his priests with their battle trumpets to sound the call to battle against you. The sons of Israel, do not fight against the Lord, the God of your fathers, for you cannot succeed. He uh, goes on uh, in St. Chronicles to be able to speak how uh, the men of Israel were subdued during this period of time, and the men of Judah prevailed, although the numbers of 800,000 against 400,000 seem uh, like an impossibility. Here, they relied upon the Lord, we're told the God of their fathers. And Abijah pursued Jeroboam and took cities from him, Bethel and its villages, and uh, in all of its villages, Jeroboam did not recover his power in the days of Abijah. And the Lord struck him down, and he died. But Abijah grew mighty, and he took 14 wives and had 22 sons and 16 daughters. So here we see in Second Chronicles the accounts of Abijah, Abijah, 
as he seeks to be able to reign, and he's reigning during Jeroboam's period of time, and we see him defend himself and his practices, saying that here, we're carrying on what we have been given to us. We worship in the temple, we, we make sacrifices morning and evening, we have the sons of Aaron, the Levites, still administering these sacrifices. We uh, have continued the promises of what God has given to us. We're the ones who rightly bear the kingship and reign of how the Lord had blessed us, that he would have a son of David on the throne forever. And so in Second Chronicles, we see Abijah or Abijam. Um, uh, his throne is set against Jeroboam. Now we need to be able to see a couple of things here. And first, what we need to see is here, God raises up kings to carry out his purposes. Here, Abijam is used in his short three years of reign to be able to carry out God's plan and his judgment upon Jeroboam. So we see this here. But we also need to be able to understand the second thing, and that's what we see here in 1 Kings chapter 15. That he walked in the sins of his father did before him. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father. What we see here is that in first in Second Chronicles we see him boasting of how he is worshiping God in the correct way, how he has the priests of Aaron, how he makes the morning and evening sacrifices. But mainly this is used in a comparison against Jeroboam. Here Jeroboam is the one that made golden calves. He is the one that has appointed priests. Again, back in uh, 2 Chronicles, he says, But as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. And he, and he, and he sits there and he, and he points to what he does. He points to how they carry that out. That here Jeroboam has set up his own priests and his own priests doing his own functions. That they make their morning and evening burnt offerings, their incense of sweet spices. They shout showbread on the table of pure gold. They care for the golden lampstand and the lamps that burn every evening. And, and he says, we keep the charge of the Lord our God, but you have forsaken him. But this is not in contrast to 1 Kings. Notice all the things that he says are things that they do. But notice what 1 Kings highlights about Abijah. What he highlights is that in his heart was not wholly true to the Lord. His God is the heart of David, his father. Remember when Samuel went to be able to meet with the sons of Jesse and to be able to find out who was going to be king. And all the sons of Jesse go before him and, and Samuel goes, oh, it must be this person. But the Lord tells Samuel that, that do not look on his appearance or the height of his statue because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, but man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Notice all the things that Abijah, Abijah boasts about are things that they do, things that can be seen. But what the author of 1 Kings is highlighting is, is his heart. 
that his heart was not wholly true to the Lord. And both can be true. They haven't forsaken his priests, but that doesn't mean that his heart is wholly true to the Lord. But also notice here in this account, in in verse 3, that it says that it was not wholly true to the Lord his God. Now what that means is that we also see that here, this personal possessive pronoun, that he has not completely and utterly rejected the Lord. And I think that is helpful for us to be able to see as we see all these things. That often here Rehoboam sets up all these, carries on the practices of high places as Solomon had set up and, and worshiping through these false means. And here Abijam, Abijah boasts in what they do in the temple. But also what the whole nation of Judah is doing is also worshiping all these false gods as well. That they're not following through with the commandments that God had given to them. They can have the outward appearance of worshiping God and, and use that to be able to boast in. But how they actually practice that in their life, they're not telling the whole truth. That he's not truly, wholly worshiping the Lord his God. as the heart of David his father. Now if we had one of these pictures, either 1 Kings or 2 Chronicles, we would have a half-painted portrait of what actually happened. But God, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has given us a full portrait that we might be able to see about Abijam. Now, why did this happen? Not because he is perfect. This highlights the relationship between Israel and Judah. But more importantly, the relationship of the covenant that God has made, the word that God has promised. This covenant that God has made with a great sinner, as Dale Ruff David puts it. But we are told that he has showed favoritism. Not because that he has the priests of Aaron, not because they make their daily and morning sacrifices, not because they have the bread on the table of presence, not because they care for the lifestands. We're told particularly because of what David did and who David was. See, this is in verse 4 and 5. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem, setting up his son after him and establishing Jerusalem. Because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. So again, if we see and we claim that what Abijah Abijam boasts about in 2 Chronicles and say this is why he's shown favoritism, well that's not the reason we're given in Scripture. What we're given is because of what David did, the covenant God made with David because of the promise God made with David. Again, this is why it's so important for us to spend so much time in 2 Samuel chapter 7 because this constantly comes up. Not merely just in uh, the, the book of 1 and 2 Kings, but here this promise that is made to David is, is carried on. 
Remember those 11 or so things the Lord said that he would do? He would give them rest from their enemies. He would declare that he would, the Lord would make David a house, that he will raise up offspring after you, come from your body. He will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I took put away from before you. And the house of your kingdom and the house uh, shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. That in this promise, we see God in his steadfast love as seek to be able to establish David's son on the throne. And as we continually look at what happens, we need to be reminded that it's not particularly because of someone doing something good or something bad. The promise is that God said that he would establish one of David's sons on the throne forever, and he's carrying that promise out. Now, if Abijah seeks to be able to boast in what they do in the temple to be able to carry this out, then we, have, we just see half the story. But within this, there's also a promise of discipline. We'll see this, I think, clearly as we continue to go through. But this discipline is not total and not final. It's not obliteration, as we've seen in 1 Kings chapter 11. That as the Lord said that he's going to divide the kingdoms, ten to the north, two to the south, one tribe for the sake of David's servant. In Jerusalem, he'll establish God has placed his name there in the temple. that he's going to carry that on in in verse 34. The whole kingdom is not going to be taken from his hand. It's not going to be ripped out of the son of Solomon's hand. But why does that happen? Because of David. Because of the promise God had made to David. Judah continues to remain uh, there because of God's faithfulness, not theirs. In verse 36 in, in chapter 11, Yet to his son I will give one tribe, and David my servant may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city where I have chosen to put my name. That here, affliction will come upon the house of David, but not forever. We need to notice something about the difference between Judah and Israel. They're very, very similar. Now, Israel does have wicked kings, and you would say that they have more wicked kings, or wickeder kings, bad English, but seek to be able to prove the point. But, what we see is here, is because of the promise God made to David that he continues to be able to carry on the southern kingdom and David's sons. But particularly not because of David. We're reminded here that David is also a sinner. In the matter concerning Uriah the Hittite, in which these kings come from, this line comes from this wicked sin that is reminded of. But the, the key is the promise that was made to that sinner David. What God would do for him not what David would do for him. 
that this lamp that God has ignited, God will not let let go out because of what he had promised to be able to do. We see this, we'll see this throughout all of 1st and 2nd Kings here in chapter, uh, 2nd Kings chapter 8. Yet the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah for the sake of David his servant, since he promised to give a lamp to him and to his sons forever. And here this light that God had promised to build, bring through David is coming. And we see this important principle carried out, as we mentioned uh, last week, that here uh, the second commandment, I think, is one of the key things that ha- comes about in, in 1 Kings. That here the second commandment speaks of not making an image, a, a carved image, and often that's where we stop. But within this, we also see that you're not to make anything of heaven above or on earth that it, beneath that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation, to those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So here we see that promise actually carried out. God is showing his steadfast love to generations after because of one faithful person, King David. God is showing his steadfast love because of one who is faithful. Now, it does not mean that there's not going to be the hand of discipline that comes upon them. You see this principle carried out in in Exodus chapter 34, where the Lord passes by Moses as he sees his glory and uh, Moses, uh, the Lord cries out and says that the Lord, the Lord uh, God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But those will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So again, we see. For the sake of David, God continues to be able to carry out this promise. Now, why is this important for us? If we seek to be Abijah in 2 Corinthians, Second Chronicles, seeking just merely to be able to boast about what we do in the outward appearance, the Lord is the one looking at the heart. And 1 Kings says that here he does not follow the Lord his God with all his heart. But yet, the Lord shows him faithfulness by not letting that lamp disappear because of the faithfulness of one. Now, how does this principle apply to us? We often read about the, the, the thousands of generations thinking of this as the, the promise of how God carries on through the covenant. And that's true. We see the promise of the covenant merely not passed down just to one, but the promise of the covenant passes down through the family. That all of Noah's family was saved in the ark because of the faithfulness of Noah. But, if we then merely think of this as, if we are faithful as parents and and grandparents, then we're going to see that blessing on our family immediately. Well, that's not necessarily the case. There's a promise of the covenant, but you have Ishmael, you have Isaac. You have Esau, you have Jacob. Both, all sons of the covenant of promise, 
but it doesn't mean that it's passed down merely just through a biological means. But where this is helpful for us to be able to understand is the faithfulness of one shows the blessing of all their, his children, and it carries on. So when we think about Christ and his faithfulness that he showed to us, that his faithfulness carries out as we are adopted in as children. That here the promise given to David is, is carried on for David's sake, and now for Christ's sake, that promise is carried on to us. Romans chapter 1, Paul begins and ends in Romans. David doesn't really get a, a, a great amount of uh, pages space in, in the book of Romans. A couple of comments here or there, but here, one of the opening statements here that, that Paul makes in Romans chapter 1, is he, here he's speaking about the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was a descendant from David according to the flesh. So the promises that are connected to Christ are connected to David that God had made to him in 2 Samuel chapter 7. But here that light, that lamp that God promised that would not be ignited in Jerusalem because of David continues even in this period of time of Abijam, Abijah. And even in the time where his heart was not truly after God, God shows him favoritism and, and, uh, because of what, he, his, what, his father has done, what his father David had done. And we see this light, this kingdom of light, carry on throughout Scripture. David, uh, Christ, the light of the world. Revelation chapter 1, in the city there would be no need for a sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And this lamp is the lamb. So this lamp, this idea and image that here is there's a flickering light that is given to David. And his sons carried on. And it withers the wick, barely holding on with embers. But yet, the Lord is continually protecting it because his promise is that this light will shine. You ever wonder how light can be made on the first day, but the sun, moon, and stars, luminaries, on the coming about the fourth day? Well, we're told in Scripture here that here in heaven, we're going to no need for the luminaries to be able to rule over the day. God's light. But I also think it's a good image we, as we live through today. The promise in here is this lamp will not go out. Does not mean the lamp will always be as bright and burning with great vigor. There are times when the lamp is on, but it's not bright. There are times in God's history where God's faithfulness still remains, but it yet seems darker or dimmer. There's times in history where God's people seem, the light might seem to be extinguished. See, this is just a couple of chapters with Elijah. And here he is, and it just seems like I'm the only one who worships God and hasn't bowed down to the knee of Baal. But the promise here is the light is Christ and it will never go out. Again, in Revelation, looking forward to 
ends in chapter 22, and here it says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. This image, again, that carries through of this lamp flickering, this light that is not going to go out. Isaiah touches on it a couple of times where he speaks about kings and the brightness of their rising. The nations shall come to their light. Later on, it says, lift your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your hearts shall thrill and exult because the abundance in the sea shall be turned to you and the wealth of the nation shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come and they shall bring gold and frankincense and bring uh, good news and praises to the Lord. Your Christ, that light, that bright shining light, finally is come. As I think what Matthew touches on in, in chapter 4, where he's speaking of these men, these people dwelling in darkness, have seen a great light. And those who dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So here we see the connections of the, the kingdom of Christ as, as a kingdom filled with light. This promise that God made that this lamp is always going to be bright in his, where he has placed his name. So we think what you see here underneath Abijam is that true uh, carrying on. So the author of Kings also ends in verse 6 to verse 8 explaining there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of his life. The rest of the acts of Abijam and all that he did are they not written in the book of the uh, book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah, and there was war between Abijam and Jeroboam. And Jeroboam slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David, and Asa his son reigned in his place. So although we see these two sides of the same portrait in First Kings and in Second Chronicles, we see the whole picture as we seek to be able to unravel why God would continue to be able to carry out his uh, promise to David. Um, again, it's not because of the faithfulness of his sons that follow. It's the faithfulness of God who made the promise to his sons to follow, that his son, Jesus Christ, God the Son, would come and show his faithfulness. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.